Hello, it's Richard Herring here. Welcome to my podcast feed, powered by ACAS Plus. And my stand-up tour is about to begin. Can I have my ball back? First stand-up tour in six years. Many of you just know me from the podcast. Don't know, I've done 14 or 15 stand-up tours in my own right. I'm a brilliant stand-up comedian. And can I have my ball back? I think it's my best show ever. That's what the audiences are saying. It's about testicular cancer, but it's funny because testicles are funny, even though cancer isn't. Uh, I'm really pleased with it. I'd love you to come and see it. Bring your friends. Some of the shows selling really well. Some of them selling really badly. It's a traditional Richard Herring tour. But here's where I'm going to be. 2nd of May, Thursday at the Luton Hat Factory. It's a small venue, but there are still tickets left. 3rd of May, I'm at the Berry Hedge End, which is near Southampton. That's looking more full, but still some availability. 8th of May, I'm at the Leicester Square Theatre. There's about 10 tickets left for that one, though I am back at the Leicester Square Theatre in June. And then I'm at St Albans on the 9th, Gloucester on the 10th. Chorley Little Theatre on the 11th, that's sold out, but you can join the waiting list. And then the 12th of May, I'm at Glasgow, afternoon show sold out. Evening show, extra show, put on, still with tickets. And then there's lots more. Go to richardherring.com slash ballback slash tour or richardherring.com slash gigs. And now enjoy whatever podcast I've given you. It's free. It's all for you. If you want to pay me back, buy a book, come and see a show. That's all I've got to say to you. Love you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, my finest of friends, and also to any enemies who are listening. Welcome to Can I Have My Ball Back? I'm Richard Herring, and this podcast is all about the fun that can be had with testicular cancer. Well, some of it's fun. Not all of it is fun by any means. But some of it was surprisingly fun and funny and positive for me, in spite of that one... Slightly notable negative. Uh, if you're enjoying this podcast and you'd like to support me or like to know more information about testicles and more details about this incredible journey I've been through, my book, also called Can I Have My Ball Back, is now out in paperback. You can get it wherever you get your books from, and it would be lovely if you could buy it for yourself, for any friends you think would be interested. It's the perfect Christmas gift, is all I would say for people who want to read about testicles on Christmas Day, which, who doesn't? Let's face it. We are now at episode eight, which is particularly triggering for me, the number eight representing, as it does, two balls working together in harmony. They're arranged vertically, but that sometimes is the case if you're lying down. 
and it's going to be difficult for me, but I'm going to push on through. And that is because on this episode, you are finally going to get to hear from my actual factual oncologist, Dr. Anand Sharma. He's a wonderful man. He saved my life. But before we meet the man in person, let's meet him in my stand-up as we pick up the story a short while after my troublesome bollock was removed. 13 days after the surgery, I got in my car for the first time to make the 50 minutes drive to meet my oncologist. Uh, it was quite a tricky drive, I have to say. <laughs> Tried not to go over any bumps. Um, <laughs> I was heading to the Mount Vernon Cancer Centre in Northwood for an appointment with Dr. Arnand Sharma to find out what the next move was. Uh, I was pretty sure that I knew what the next move was. It was another terrible C word that people react to very badly, chemotherapy. I was shown through to Dr. Sharma's office by another, about the, the, all the staff I met throughout this experience but generally given what they were going through as well with covid was so happy and positive and this was another one which is called linda this positivity that the nhs have in the wrong hands could become a bit stepford wifey like being in a cult but the thing about the nhs is that the people who work there are genuinely good people because you have to be you only do that job uh, if you want to help people i mean you're certainly not doing it for the money um i suppose occasionally someone works for the nhs because they want to commit loads of murders or have sex with corpses but <laughs> You know, it's a good way of doing both those things. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that that lot, in spite of the publicity they get, are probably in the minority. You know, it's probably, probably 52-48, isn't it? Uh, Linda gave me a leaflet with phone numbers, including her own, a personal one for me to ring if I was worried about anything at any time. It's incredible. They were really looking after me, and I don't think it's because they were planning to kill me or keep my cadaver looking presentable for when they were shagging it. Um... <laughs> Dr. Sharma finally arrived. Linda hung around, I guess, in case I started to cry. She could look after me. Before he'd even sat down, Dr. Sharma wasted no time in telling me that he knew who I was and that he'd watched me on Taskmaster. Perhaps this was true, uh, but the Daily Mail had just published an article about my cancer, fulfilling a lifelong ambition that that particular paper should run a new story about my bollocks. Um, <laughs> the only disappointment that it wasn't on the front page, especially given that's usually full of balls. So, you know. But I, I suspect he might have read that and not be a Taskmaster fan, but I took him at his word. Dr. Sharma had a look at the scar, which was healing well. He had a little feel of my depleted ball sack. Unfortunately, all the chat about Taskmaster had taken so long that he was nowhere near the ball-fondling world record. <laughs> he told me that the operation had been a success and that all of the cancer was gone, but it could come back. So as I'd expected, I had a decision to make. I could either do nothing and come back for scans every few months for the next few years, or have those scans, but also have one shot of precautionary chemotherapy now. If I did nothing, there'd be a one in four chance of the cancer returning. And I didn't really love those odds. I play poker quite a lot. And I know how often a 75% sure thing gets beaten. It's roughly once in every four occasions. <laughs> if I choose the chemo option, that would reduce the chance of returning bollock cancer from one in four to one in 20. Those are odds I could cope with. Though again, about 5% of the time, they're proven to be deadly on the poker table. <laughs> I didn't have to have the chemo if I didn't want to, and if the cancer did come back, they would still be able to treat it. Dr. Sharma assured me that the chemo would be pretty light, but for a little bit of real-world jeopardy, he did chuck in the fact that the chemo would weaken my immune system. At any other time, this wouldn't really have been too much of a worry, uh, but this was during COVID, and I hadn't been vaccinated yet, because at the time, it was just the elderly who had been, and only with their first shot. I decided I was prepared to risk it, especially when they told me that as a vulnerable person, I could jump the vaccination queue. I phoned up for an appointment and got one the next day. Take that, people who won't have cancer. Um, <laughs> must be feeling pretty stupid now. 
I wondered if Dr. Sharma could tell me how I got this cancer, but he wasn't really able to do so. He said it was likely the roots go as far back as being in the womb. Something may be happening there, creating this potential for this to play out. I asked him if it could have been caused by anything I'd done. Could it be down to too much beer or Diet Coke or sugar or having my phone in my right-hand trouser pocket? Or I used to play on my Acorn Electron computer when I was a teenager and it had a really hot keyboard. <laughs> It was always on my lap. I went. He said that didn't matter. Uh, I said I'd been hitting the balls a few times. I got. Um, I was in Barbados with a girlfriend, and I went sort of into the sea, just up to my knees, and I got knocked over by a wave and hit my head. And for some reason, my right testicle swelled up to about four times its size, uh, which was fine, except that on the plane home, it acted like a kind of altimeter. Uh, I could tell. It just every. They should employ big bollocks men for that, rather than save some money. I could tell you exactly when it was going up and when it was going down and how high it was. So he, he said that might have been the catalyst that set things in motion, which was a weird thing to think. But uh, I'd also been, I'd forgotten, I'd been kicked in the balls by a university lecturer as well. But when I was 40, I did it in the show. They've taken a beating, these things, I have to say. He took a look at me, my belly bloated by post-operation biscuits, and told me that the operation would have changed my metabolism, so it was important I lost some weight and got fitter, or I'd increased my chances of getting diabetes, high blood pressure, and other unpleasant stuff. I didn't want to survive this brush with death only to fall at the next hurdle, because I was too heavy to get over it. Um, it turns out if an oncologist tells me to do something, then I do it. I decided to ditch the biscuits, and I got exercising as soon as I was able. Uh, I even like, raised some money for the hospital and for his charity that he was so keen on me raising money for, which is called the Cancer Treatment and Research Trust. It's a very good charity. I hope an oncologist never tells me to kill the president, because with, with great oncology comes great responsibility. <laughs> So Linda asked me if I had any questions, and I only had one area of concern, which was when would it be okay for me to resume sexual relations with my wife? We'd still not risked it, and I worried that after the jock rash cream incident, she'd never be able to look at me as a <laughs> sexual proposition again, or worse, only to be able to find me sexy if she was smearing unguent into my <laughs> groinal sores. They seemed surprised that I asked about sex. Linda laughed. Oh, yeah, you're still quite young, aren't you? I mean, I'm not, but I was, I'm still hoping there's a few more years of shagging in there for me. Uh, I, I'd only asked about sex because I was worried about the stitches and whether they would split, but Dr. Ashama had assumed I was asking about the chemotherapy and proceeded to tell me I would need to wear a condom during sex for several months to protect my wife, presumably from the chemotherapy drugs in my system. That hadn't been my concern at all, but I was glad he'd misunderstood because uh, nobody else told me that for the rest of that. If I hadn't asked that question, I just really wanted to know if it was good to go now before the chemo, but I didn't want to look like a sex-starved maniac, even though I was one. So I left it. I left it that, but I couldn't understand why it was months. How long would the chemo chemicals stay in me? Or was it because my sperm would be damaged long-term? After my initial bravery, I was too nervous to get clarification and the internet was no help either. Uh, the websites that I found seemed to say the chemo chemicals would only stay in my bloodstream for a few days. What was this month's shit? And, that, and how many months was months? Two months or 22 months? That's the, those, I, I guess I was going to have to tell my wife that I was full of dangerous sperm, but I'd wear a condom and she could risk contact if she wanted to. It's the greatest aphrodisiac known to man, right? I mean, it probably is to. My wife's a pervert, isn't she? Because, like, if you think about it, for one of the early years of our relationship, for a whole year, I had a Hitler moustache. She loved it. <laughs> so, as you can probably tell, meeting Dr. Sharma was a very important moment in my recovery. And I'm so delighted to say he's also agreed to speak with me for this series. And it was only a few months since I'd last seen him, of course. 
and my producer Ben thinks it's inexplicable that I began my chat by asking if he remembered who I was. But look, he has to meet a lot of people with cancer and he's not looking at their faces, is he? He's looking at their bollocks. So if I'd, if I'd walked into the sound studio with my bollocks out, he'd have gone, ah, oh, Richard, nice to see you. But it was my face he was seeing and he might not be familiar with that. But also I'm not so arrogant as to assume that every oncologist is going to remember every single patient. So I asked him, yes, Ben. I fucking asked him if he remembered me. What's your problem? I remember you very well. And I think I saw you in my clinic in uh, the heavy COVID times. Yes. And I saw you came on your own and I explained to you what you had. So it was a good thing that you had your diagnosis done at an earlier stage. Right. Because you didn't have the cancer spread anywhere. Yes, that's right. And that was really good because it just made me feel confident that this person is a very... uh, He looks after himself, I would say. (laughs) And because this cancer hadn't spread anywhere, we wanted to minimize the risk of it coming back again in future. And I think we had a very frank discussion that if we give you chemotherapy, which will be one session of it, it probably reduces the risk of cancer coming back again to almost 95 to 98%. And I gave you the advantages, disadvantages of what the chemotherapy will entail. Finally, you agreed to have the treatment. And I think all went well with your cycle of chemotherapy. Yeah, it was all relative. That was the worst part of it, probably, was the chemotherapy in terms of just I felt a bit sick for a couple of weeks, but it wasn't too bad. Because obviously, I think chemotherapy, a lot of people think, oh, no, your hair's going to fall out, you're going to be weak. And obviously, there's different levels of chemotherapy. So this is a fairly mild chemotherapy for testicular cancer. So what I would say, and what I think you probably listen to uh, lots of people on the media is that if you have want to have a cancer, testicular cancer is the best cancer to have. Yeah. Because it's almost 95% curable. And even if it spreads elsewhere, it's got a 90% chance of being cured. So it's two types of cancers. I think you had the milder form of testicular cancer. But yeah. to treat that, the chemotherapy is not as strong as other cancers. Yeah. But I would again say that if a cancer has to be there, testicular cancer is probably the Best one because you can easily get it cured by right treatment. Sure. And also it's the funniest one because it's of testicles. So, you know, as a comedian, it was definitely the best cancer for me to get. But try not to get cancer if you can, I think, overall. The only thing I thought was a bit weird was no until I was diagnosed with cancer, nobody told me that testicular cancer was very curable. It wasn't until I had the testicle taken out. Is that something that you're advised? You're not allowed to talk about cancer until it's been confirmed as cancer? Because it seems to me, if you go day one, this might be testicular cancer, but it's very easy to treat. It would have made a slightly easier ride. Yeah, I think what happens is everything happens in a rush. Yeah. You come for the ultrasound, then you're given a date for surgery. But we don't know whether it's going to be there. And people don't want to give you news, no. which probably may make you feel more stressed. So many times it happens that the surgeons operate and they don't tell them what cancer it is yeah. till they come to me and I explain everything to them. Yeah. It's a possibility that you may not have had cancer. Yeah. So that's the reason why they don't say it. And they leave it for... Post-operative, when they see the tumor under microscope, what exactly it is, that's when the news is given to you. Yeah, I still think you should say, if it is cancer, don't worry. <laughs> I, I, I think it's it's a, it's a very a good suggestion. And probably this is something when someone goes for testicular cancer surgery, they should be given information about. Yeah. So I was sort of wondering, because it, cause my ball was entirely, I mean, it was it was in the ball, but my ball had basically entirely become a lump of cancer. Have you any idea how long it would have been progressing to get to that stage? Is that a long time or a short? It would have been a long time. Yeah. And the problem is that it's very difficult to pick it up quite early. Yeah. Because you don't have the symptoms because the area where it is, 
it's less likely for you to cause any problems. Yeah. And you're supported by your uh, your pants, you know, so you don't have the feeling. No. Unless it starts growing. Yeah. And just before we go ahead, I, I had a very good uh, mnemonic which I made. Okay. I said, feel regularly. So you have to feel yourself regularly. Yeah. Pick it up early. Get it out if you have a lump and live normally. I used to treat breast cancer previously. And I used to always tell women, you know, that you need to examine yourself. That's a very good way of picking that cancer up. Before I became an oncologist, I myself never used to examine myself. Yeah. But I think it made me feel that this is something which I should do. Yeah. And I always tell the patients, feel yourself because you are a better judge of yourself rather than anyone else. Sure. So it's a good thing. Feel regularly, pick it early, get it out and live normally. Sure. And that's good. Do men generally, I mean, you say that I came in, you know, it felt like I'd left it for a long time for the whole ball was full. But is it a problem that men are leaving this a bit longer than they should? I would say so, because I see quite a few men who come with far advanced disease uh, as compared to yours. Yeah. And the cancer has spread to different organs. Yeah. I think that's probably particularly because we don't normally examine ourselves regularly. That's the most important thing which you have clearly pointed out. Yeah. And then what happens is that because we are young, fit you don't normally develop the symptoms because your body is able to cope with the stress. Yeah. And only when it comes to a later stage that you pick it up. Yeah. But you're never going to be in trouble for going to your GP and saying, I'm a bit worried about something. Exactly. So if you feel there is something different, it's pain or it's swelling, then better go to the GP. He'll just have to organize an ultrasound and blood test. And the key thing is that if you pick it up early, you can just get rid of it just by having a small surgery done. Yeah. But I think that's probably very important that as soon as you feel a lump or any a funny feeling, go yeah. to the GP, he'll refer you for ultrasound and that will be reassuring. Great. On the topic of examining yourself, yeah. I, I just have to share a joke with you all. It may not be a joke, but it's just that uh, one of my patients, probably he may be listening to it uh, later on <laughs> and I'll ask him to re listen to this as, a, as well. He always says that his wife's told him that he shaves only for two people in the world. And one is for her. And one is whenever he comes to see his oncologist, that is myself. And that really, really, really made me laugh whenever I see him. And he always tells me that statement, you know. Well, that's good to know. I mean, maybe he likes you more than he's letting on. You never know. You never know. Now, is there a chance with testicular cancer, if you get it early enough that you'll just take out the cancer and, and the ball will survive or is it always the ball gets taken out? No, unless it's a very, very small tumor, you generally yeah. tend to get it out yeah. because there's no guarantee that there are no small cells elsewhere. Yeah. So you have to get it out. And if it's picked up early, then you don't require anything. You don't even require chemotherapy. No. Apart from regular scans, you don't require any treatment to be given. Yeah. Okay. Now, the thing I wanted to ask, which I, I never asked anyone, was once it's been taken out and looked at, can you have it back? Can you have it back in a jar or is that something that never happens? You can have it back in, in a jar. Because <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got it. It's the question I've been asked the most is, have and you still got it? They do preserve it. Yeah. So it's preserved throughout your life. Okay. It's never thrown away because... Okay. In future, if there's any problem happening, you may have to get it tested. Uh, okay, I didn't but, know that. So it's there uh, so somewhere. It's there somewhere, and <laughs> there are places where you keep the archival tissue. Okay, so if I go in, it's like a library. I could take it out for a little while <laughs> and have it on my table. I just think it'd be a conversation piece. Yeah, I think it's possible you can have it back, but I don't think so. It'll be in the same way as it was removed. No. And I'm quite squeamish. I'm not sure I really want to see it. I was very glad to be knocked out entirely for the operation. They were offering me local anaesthetic. 
Do many people take the local anesthetic? Uh, few people do take it, but I think <laughs> it's probably not advisable. Yeah, well, I can't see why you'd want to be around to experience that. And how was it? Because obviously, um, as you said, we were deep in COVID and in the second year of COVID. Did that have a big effect on treatments for people generally? Because I seemed to get seen very quickly. I was very impressed yeah. with how quickly. So the cancer guidelines clearly said testicular cancer is considered to be one of the most important cancers. Right. That if you have a patient, neither will the surgery be delayed, neither will the chemotherapy be delayed, neither will the scans be delayed. Right. Because not only does it affect the young people, but with chemotherapy, you can easily get rid of it. So COVID didn't come into our field for testicular cancer. But for other cancers, it was there because if a cancer doesn't have a good life expectancy, then they said that priority should be given to something which is more curable. Mm-hmm. Although now I, I feel that's probably wrong, but I think during those times, that was probably the best thing to do. This is a terrific discussion and I'm sorry to have to interrupt it, but we do, of course, have to go for some adverts which will help pay for the production of this podcast. But we'll be back with Dr. Sharma after these very, very important messages. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to Can I Have My Ball Back? Look, enough of my yapping. Let's just get back to the chat with my brilliant oncologist, Dr. Anand Sharma. I know we talked about this a little bit and there is probably no answer to this, but how does one get testicular cancer? So, so far, we don't know any direct definite cause for testicular cancer, but we do know that it's a cancer which is not related to lifestyle changes. So it's not related to smoking, alcohol or any such things. But it's something which doesn't happen overnight. It's called as a germ cell cancer because it develops in the germ cells which germinate. So testis in men and ovary in women. And for that reason, the theory is that you may be having some small cells which have been there for a long time, especially when you were a fetus in your mother's womb. And probably you got exposed to something which we still don't know about. And that has led to those changes being developed later on. And that's the reason why this cancer, we call it as the cancer between the ages of 15 to 35. So that's the age group which it develops. And it's a very slow growing cancer. 
Some people say that it could be related to a particular population area of a region like Scandinavian countries. Okay. So there are various theories which are there. Yeah. But I don't think those have been scientifically proven. No. And I think I told you I, I was knocked over by a wave in Barbados about 20 years ago. My testicle grew about four times the size. And I didn't tell you, but also in 2007, I was in a fight with a man who kicked me in the balls. Is a trauma to the testicles a uh, possible cause of it as well? Uh, no, not no. <laughs> not that we know of. But I think what could also be possible is that those might have got the cancer earlier. Yeah. You may have found out later on in your life, but I think that's something which has bought it earlier, I would say. Yeah. But I don't think so. Trauma or any of these things would have caused it. No. And you were saying to me before we did the interview that, you know, it is seen as a younger man's condition, but that you are getting some older patients getting it as well. So I've got a large group of patients who are above 40. So I would consider for testicular cancer above 40 is slightly older group. Yeah. And recently we have sent a publication as well in looking at the older population and how their response has been. I've had a patient who was 86 year old a few months back who had testicular cancer as well. And I think probably now their biology might be changing and it may be coming up in the later stages of your life. But I have quite good experience and a large number of patients who've been above 40 and who've had testicular cancer recently. Right. Okay, that's interesting. And sort of obviously, the once you've had a testicle removed, once you've had cancer, you are quite paranoid about it. And I've been paranoid about various things and come and seen you a couple of times. And they've turned out luckily to be other things. But if you do end up losing both testicles or losing the second testicle, what kind of options are there for you if you lose both testicles? So the incidence of having testicular cancer in the other testis is around 4%. Right. So you are at a high risk. Yeah. And so that's why if you've had chemotherapy, that reduces the risk of it coming back in the other testis. Yeah. Now, I've had few patients who've had both the testis removed. If you have both the testis removed, then you have to go on to testosterone replacement because you don't produce it yourself. Yeah, It will probably be affecting that and some sexual function as well. But with testosterone replacement, that normally overcomes it. Does it? Yeah. And you do have to be monitored for 10 years after both the removed. And it's true, is it, that once, if you lost a testicle once about five years have passed, then you're probably likely to be in the clear for the second one, is that right? Yeah, so I normally consider two to five years. And if it's beyond five years, you're in the safe period. So we don't do scans after five years, generally. So um, there's a few things that came up that I didn't get a clear answer to. I was confused by how long, when you have chemotherapy, how long this stuff stays in your system, because I got lots of different answers from different people. I asked you when I could start having sex again without condom. And you said that it would be several months, but the woman in the chemotherapy said it like a couple of weeks. So what was the reason you said several months? If you see by definition, the amount of time the sperm takes to mature, it's yeah. 62 days, I, right. would, I would say, probably more than 60 days. So that is two months anyways. Right. And what happens is that the drug which you get, the chemotherapy drug, resides in the testicle and that can lead to transmission of the chemotherapy drug Mm -hmm. into someone else. Yeah. And also the other thing is that you're at risk of having another child with a damaged sperm. Yeah. Because of the chemotherapy itself. That's why I say two months, three months just to be on the safe side. Okay. I would say a few weeks is probably not the right thing because science doesn't say that. Okay. Right. And... Is there a chance that it's made me infertile? Because I've sort of just been assuming I'm infertile. Is that a mistake? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think it's a mistake because I would say you've got another testis, which has got the same function to produce millions of sperms. The other thing is that with the chemotherapy, which you had, there is less than 1% chance of you being infertile due to the chemotherapy. Okay. 
So I would say if your other testis is functioning all right, yeah, what you've got 99% chance of being <laughs> fertile. Okay, I'll, watch, I'll, I'll take a bit more care. It's, luckily, we find it quite difficult to get pregnant, me and my wife, so that I think we'll be all right. Um, <laughs> we've, yeah, we've got two. I think we've got enough. Um, and with that choice of having chemo, do most patients, I mean, because no, it takes it from like one in four to one in 20, basically, or something like the chances of it coming back. Do most patients take the chemo? Or does... So most of the patients, they tend to take the chemo because they don't want to be living in the uh, life of uncertainty. Yeah. And to have chemotherapy, probably it reduces your risk quite significantly. Yeah. And I think it's probably a good way of having it because you're going to live for 20, 30, 40 years. So uh, you just want to be secure. You want to be away from any stress, you know, because and you've done it once. So you know that you've had the chemotherapy. So it's very less likely for it to be affecting you in future. Yeah. In the book, something I discuss is the fact that I ended up everything you told me to do. You had a sort of power over me. You told me to lose weight, which I did. I'll put a bit back on, unfortunately, but hopefully I'm taking back back off again. You told me to drink a couple of litres of water a day, which I started doing again. And you told me to raise money for your charity, and I did all of those things. Do you realise you have this power of your patients? <laughs> and have you you could use that for, for evil, right? I mean, you've used it for good so far, I think. No, so I, I was just seeing someone yesterday, and I was asking him to cut down on his alcohol intake. And he said he thought it to be a very powerful message. Yeah. But all the advice which I gave you is for a healthy lifestyle. I ask you to be healthy because the problem is that after testicular cancer, we've seen that there is 60 to 70% chance of developing heart and diabetes problems. So for that reason, I always say that keep yourself fit, lose weight, regular exercises. You do a lot of runs for charities and whatever it is you do. And that's really a good thing to do. So you have to be fit because I'm not looking for you as a patient. I'm looking for you as... 15, 20 years down the line, you shouldn't have any problems related to the cancer, which is 98% curable for you. Yeah. So I don't want you to be suffering with any medical problems later in the life. Yeah, that's good. Well, I'm glad you're using that your powers for good. And um, tell us a bit about because I did raise some money for your charity via uh, live streaming our podcast, the CTRT. So tell us a little bit about what that charity is doing. So it's the Cancer Treatment and Research Trust, which we run at Mount Vernon Cancer Centre. So for the two cancers which are very close to me, testis and bladder cancer, my research team is trying to develop a biomarker, a marker in the blood which you can diagnose the cancer earlier. Yeah. So for testicular cancer, we don't have very sensitive markers so far. You do have a couple of markers, but not for everyone. No. And nowadays, people have CT scan. We've got MRI, which yeah. has no radiation. So we're trying to see if we can use the funds for doing that as well. Yeah. And isn't that being an oncologist, is it quite a depressing job because you're meeting a lot of people who are ill and seriously ill? Or is it nice because you're helping them? It is a bit depressing in the way that you give bad news to almost half of my patients. Sure. Uh, but the pleasure which I get when I someone says, you know, that I've given them a good news. Yeah. That's the pleasure which I get is not the pleasure which any other speciality gets. Yes. Like if you're a doctor who treats blood pressure or diabetes, it doesn't matter, you know, blood sugar is going to go down. But you don't get that pleasure if you've got the blood sugar of someone down. Yeah. But with me, when I see a scan of a patient and I say that, oh, the scan is clear, yeah. it gives me immense pleasure because I feel that I'm making you happy. Yeah. I guess the only other, while we got you, the only other thing, when I first met you, you said uh, you'd seen me on Taskmaster. Had you really seen me on Taskmaster or did you just see me and someone told you I was? No, someone told me. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> Dr. Sharma there, a wonderful man, but a liar. And I think that's what we will remember. 
from all of that conversation. That's the only bit I'm taking away. Hey, look, his charity is amazing. It's CTRT, the Cancer Treatment and Research Trust. If you go to cancertreatment.org.uk, you can find out more about that. Donate and get involved. And there's a picture of Dr. Anand Sharma on his page there as well, if you want to have a look at him and see what he's up to. He's a good guy. I'm going to see him again in a few days for my six-month checkup. You know, we're good friends. He's probably in the top ten people who've touched my bollocks in a number of times. That's a sad indictment of my life. Anyway, look, it's time for your favourite part of the podcast and my favourite part of the podcast. It's the part of the podcast that you write. Thank you to everyone who's been sending in messages and stories at cihmbb at gmail.com. Firstly, today we've got Tom. He writes in with an email with a poetic subject line, swollen balls. He says, I was 24 and in a new relationship. One Tuesday after a weekend together, I woke up with a sore ball. I thought nothing of it and cranked one out, as you do, thinking the distraction might help. Oddly, there was a tiny, tiny bit of blood, but I presumed it was just some weird after effect of the weekend. However, things got worse that morning at work and by lunchtime I was having trouble doing anything other than thinking about the pain. I went to the loo to check myself and discovered that my usually wrinkly bollocks were taut and tight and the size of small lemons. I called the doctor and was given an emergency appointment later that afternoon. A tender two-hour wait was followed by a painful five-minute drive and an excruciating 30-second walk from my car to the surgery. The lovely doctor took one look, instantly said epididymitis and gave me a prescription. After the two-minute walk to the chemist took an agonising 20 minutes, I was eventually able to drive home, where I spent five days laying down and sleeping. Two rounds of antibiotics later, and things were better. And when HR pried into why precisely I was off work, which they shouldn't have done really, it was good to tell them the story in full, gory detail. Hey, it was their fault for asking. I was proud to have gone to the doctor with my mystery pain and swelling. My view has always been, you're trained, I'm not. You have a certificate that says you know what to do, and I don't. I hope people listen to the podcast and discover that balls are okay to talk about and certainly good to have a wee feel about. Thanks, Tom. And thank you, Tom, for that, uh, I mean, mildly excruciating, but very educational story with a beautiful and correct message. And yeah, if your balls hurt, don't sit around thinking, oh, they'll get better. Take them in. Usually it'll be treatable and usually it won't be anything too much to worry about. And we have a second email this week from someone called Tom, also about epididymitis. It's a Tom epidemic of epididymitis. This Tom writes in to say, I had pretty bad pain in my nuts for a few weeks, so decided to go to my GP to get checked out. And notice that's a few weeks of enduring that pretty bad pain. They took a look and I had a feel around and said I should immediately go to my local hospital where someone would be waiting for me. As you can imagine, I was immediately in a panic about a potential cancer down there. I don't have to imagine it, Tom, because this has happened to me. At the hospital, and I can't imagine, I've got aphantasia. At the hospital, I was immediately taken to have an ultrasound and a full examination. After a thorough check, the doctor decided it was a bad case of epididymitis, which is a swelling of the tubes and not too serious, although bloody painful. Because the case was pretty bad, the doctor asked if I would be okay with a few medical students coming in to take a look and give me a quick examination. I agreed immediately, thinking at least something good could come out of this situation and that it would help students understand the condition better if they could see a real-life example. You're very giving, Tom Tom, I have to say. That's a beautiful thing. What I didn't realise is how many of them there would be. Fully 12 students came in and all had a good rummage around my nethers. I was desperately trying not to make eye contact, but this seemed rude. 
What is the correct etiquette in this social situation? I don't really know. I think it's don't make eye contact, Tom. I think you think you had it right there. When they'd all had a go on my man bag, I was able to finally relax. Then four more came in and also had a good pummel. Despite this, it could have been a lot worse. I really should have gone to my GP sooner, but thankfully the medication cleared up the problem in a week. Cheers, Tom. You know, it's fairly typical, Tom. You're not alone. A lot of guys, especially men, I think, do leave these things much too long. But the minute your testicles hurt, you know, for more than a second, I would say get straight down the GP. Next up, I have an email from Leon. This is his story. One day I found a lump on my lefty. So I went to get scanned and they said the lump was a harmless cyst, which it, it usually will be. OK, that's that's the good news. Sweet relief. But then the next day I got a phone call and was told I had to come straight back into hospital. The surgeon said it was cancer and the ball had to go. He was the kind of doctor you would think was a prick ordinarily, but in that situation, his confidence was very comforting. He told me I wasn't going to die, and if I was going to get cancer, this was the one to get. I was relieved that the prognosis was so good, but my wife was a mess. She hadn't expected bad news. Perhaps she thought the results were so good they had to tell me in person. <laughs> anyway, when it was time for my surgery two days later, the duty doctor did his rounds beforehand and said to me, so you're here to have your right testy removed. And I said, no, left. We looked at each other and it felt like Lauren and Hardy doing a testicular cancer skit. Then he told me that the lump on my left ball was a cyst, but by chance during the scan, they'd found a tumour inside my righty. The luck of that being found has contributed to the subsequent head fuck. That's because I think the part that is discussed and treated the least is the trauma afterwards. I felt almost elated straight after the procedure and made loads of jokes about it. Then that passed and I started to think every headache was a brain tumour. In the end, I got counselling through my oncology department. I spoke to an amazing woman for a few months and it was so helpful. The weird thing about an experience like ours is that everyone sees you as lucky because it was caught early and the treatment was fairly minor. And of course, we are lucky, but not as lucky as people who haven't had cancer. I think it's part of the human condition to see people who've had cancer as almost predetermined. They're cancer people, different to normal people. So we're lucky cancer people and sound ungrateful to moan about getting it. But it's fucking terrifying and leaves you completely changed. You don't feel ill when you get it, so for the rest of your life, you think you could have it at any point. That trauma has been the worst thing for me by far. My situation is similar to yours with a young family. My whole feeling around mortality has changed and I can't even watch things like the stand-up to cancer Great British Bake Off. Anyway, nowadays I'm a lot better and think about it less. It's helped now that I'm only checked every six months. The checkups are a double-edged sword returning to your nightmare for a CT scan to reassure you that you're still all clear. I still don't really understand people who talk about beating cancer. If you successfully crossed a minefield with that incident, I wouldn't dance in the next field. It just feels too much like poking the beast. Leon. Yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of that resonates with me again, and we do keep coming back to this, but there is this psychological trauma after having experienced this, the worry that it will come back, having faced your mortality, being aware really painfully aware that death could come unexpectedly at any minute it is very difficult to go and live your life I think you have to try and be positive and think well I must go and live my life I must try and be as healthy as possible I tried to do that I did well then I did badly and I'm doing well again so it's by no means something that will always work we're still human we still make mistakes and what Leon says I think about getting help for the psychological side to have some therapy is not a bad idea if you're struggling with it do talk to someone. If that has to be someone professionally, the NHS can help with that or you can find someone yourself. 
you don't have to bottle this stuff up. So, you know, it's great for me to hear that I'm not alone in that because I felt like I was a bit crazy, especially in the year after I had it. I was going back and ringing up the nurse and saying, this has happened, this has happened. Every time it did turn out to be something, luckily not cancer, but it was cysts or lipoma or different things. So you will become sort of much more aware of your body. Again, a good thing because you'll spot anything that's bad that's coming up. And yes, it's interesting that Leon sees the regular checkups as being traumatic as well, which again, I understand it is like, oh, here we go. Are we going to find something? But of course, it's great that you get that regular checkup as well so that you can at least be reassured every six months. Mine's coming up this week. I'm checking myself and every now and again, I think, has that got bigger? Has that got smaller? It's really, really difficult to know for sure if anything's wrong. You know, when I found a cyst on my remaining testicle, that was a very, very terrifying time. And so that's actually made me a bit more cautious about checking. So none of this is easy, but hopefully the main lesson is you've survived this one and let's make the most of the time we have left because unfortunately none of us are immortal yet. But thank you very much for getting in touch, Leon. Finally today, I have one more ball-related tale from Adam. He says... I was diagnosed with testicular cancer when I was in my early 30s. The treatment I received from the NHS really was first class and they quickly got me booked in to cut out the naughty right ball. Everything seemed to go pretty well. As is the norm, I was offered a prosthetic, but being engaged to be married, I wasn't expecting many new hands to fondle my love sack, so thought it best to keep it natural and let the left-hand ball have the luxury of a larger dwelling. I've been happy with my choice, and as you mentioned, things seem more streamlined now. Perhaps evolution will lead us to become a race of one bald men in the future. Maybe, or maybe four or five bald, who knows. The hardest thing of all during my treatment was having to give sperm in case post-op things weren't working as they should. Having to go into a sterile room with a small test tube and a dog-eared copy of Escort magazine to pull one off, whilst you had the pressure of a queue of other patient tossers, I mean I think he means patient tossers, I mean I think they might be impatient tossers, waiting their turn outside was a real challenge. Anyway, that tricky wank apart, 16 years on, I feel that being diagnosed with cancer was one of the best things to happen to me. This major shake-up meant I started enjoying life so much more. Knowing that it was finite and that a curveball could change everything, it really gave meaning to carpe diem. Anyway, thanks for these podcasts. I haven't told many people about my testicular cancer, but on the back of your openness, I will now spread the word much more freely from now on. I hope that talking about it will make others check their balls, get medical help sooner and ultimately save lives. Keep up the good work, Adam. And that's good to get that very positive take on it. And that's also, of course, equally valid. It's great if you take the positives from it. I think I largely did. I sort of fall a little bit between both Leon and Adam in that it did make me very positive about wanting to stay alive. It did make me appreciate life. But equally, there's still those nagging thoughts. But I suppose for all of us, the nagging thoughts are hopefully what propel you on to try and enjoy the life you have. You get to 56. Everything starts falling apart anyway. So, you know, enjoy being young while you can. Seize the day. And so here we are, standing at the end of another epic episode of Can I Have My Ball Back? There's another episode coming along very soon, imminently. But until then, remember to thoroughly check yourself and also thoroughly check out my book, Can I Have My Ball Back?, which is now available in paperback and can be found at all good bookshops. It's a terrific read. It's my Booker Prize of the year, I think. Out of all the books I've read, I would say it should be the one that gets the Booker Prize. But it's not up to me to say. 
Can I Have My Ball Back is presented by me, Richard Herring. So many thanks to my guest, Dr. Anand Sharma. I am, of course, indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. Thanks also to Chris Evans, not that one, my researcher, Alex Hiscock, George Linkford, the incompetent sound man, Rich Evans at Syncbox, and also to everyone at the Bill Murray and the Phoenix, where I recorded the stand-up like I was some kind of Jerry Seinfeld. The music is by the planet fetishist Gustav Holst. This is a GoFaster Stripe, Sky Potato and Fuzz production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening. Do come and see me on tour. RichardHerring.com slash gigs is the easiest way to find out where I'm going. And GoFasterStripe.com. You can buy books and downloads. And just tell your friends about the podcast. If you can't make it to the tour show, if you don't want to buy any products, then every time you listen to an advert, you're helping us make more podcasts with a very, very tiny micro payment. So thank you very much for that. I love you all. It's lovely to meet you on tour, by the way. Hello to everyone who's said hello so far. I do come and say hello after the show. If you if enjoyed it, if you want to see me, that'd be nice. You can get a selfie. I don't care. I'm a selfie whore. All right, see you soon. <laughs>